God's people said, Amen. Amen. Remain standing for the reading of the text this morning, which will actually be fairly lengthy from Philippians chapter 3. I'll read the entire chapter as we begin thinking about making some sense out of the resurrection. The old Marian Lovett hermeneutic, as you read the scripture and you say, so what? And then you go seeking the answers because there are indeed answers. Now hear the reading of the word of God. Before I do that, let me just preface this. This little epistle of joy, Paul was writing to a church under suffering. And it was in light of that very thing of why he wrote what he did. Beginning at verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in Him." not having mine own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings be conformed to His death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained, or am already perfected. But I press on, that I may lay hold on that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. But one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk of whom I have told you often, but now tell you, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly await for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, 
who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Let's pray. O God in heaven, we need the power of the resurrection in our lives today. We come this morning broken, but not cast down or cast away. We come not having already attained. And so there are so many things in our life that is not right, that are not conformed to the image of Christ. We fall so short and so quickly and so often of your glory, yet you do not cast us away. That even when a good man falls, he will not utterly be cast out. But you, O Lord, will lift us up and set our feet back upon that rock, which rock is Christ. And Lord, this day we ask the Spirit would work freely and liberally in all of our lives, changing us, confronting us, and giving us the great joy for which the Apostle wrote and longed for, that you would give us an understanding of the resurrection of Jesus Christ and that we might live today presently in its light. Spirit, I look to you to do a work now in each of our lives that I as the minister cannot do. And so we look to you, O Lord, to bring forth the fruit that would please you from each one of us here this day. In Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Today we consider the most remarkable and the most transformational event in all of human history and in all of this earthly realm, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It means everything. It means everything. But the problem is that so many people do not live as though the resurrection really means anything. And even there Paul was, was saying, it's for these that I weep. It's my hope this morning that this message will strengthen your faith in the truth of the resurrection such that your life is changed. I do not want you to leave here the same way as when you walked in. I do not want to leave here the same way as when I came. You come here with some personal burdens here. I I don't know all of the details of your life, but I know one thing for certain. You come here with some personal and spiritual burdens. Perhaps your marriage is heading down the wrong path. Maybe your spiritual life seems to you to be in vain for the moment. You wonder, what's the use if I continue it? Perhaps your spiritual senses have just been become dull, that God doesn't feel close anymore. I don't necessarily know your particular problems and issues, but I do know this, that something in your life today needs to change. And if you don't see a need for it, you are not seeing that you are to live in the light of the resurrected power. Something in your life today needs to die, die today. Before you go to bed tonight, it needs to die. And life isn't worth living 
if this is not going to be true in your life. If there's not something to die to today, then the resurrection of Jesus Christ will have no meaning in your life. It means everything. Or it means nothing at all. If He truly did not rise from the dead, if if that did not happen, then it means nothing at all. In fact, none of this means anything. We should just go and live it up and eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. But that's not why we're here. We're here because it means everything to us. The change in your life needs to come from you. This is something you need to be about today. It needs to be something concrete, something specific, and something tangible, something that is real, not living in the abstract, ethereal, transcendent goo. It's not looking for a change in somebody else's life. It's not looking for a change in your circumstances, but specifically a change in you. This is a confrontational message of a joyous kind that you should be greatly encouraged in, but you should not leave here without a deliberate change or being about it. See, Paul is writing this little epistle to the Philippian church who was suffering. This little epistle that we call the epistle, a little epistle of joy, because he recites in it uh, that word joy or its, its complement, rejoice, a number of times. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice. Fulfill ye my joy. Be joyful. Rejoice. It's not tedious for me to say that again to you, but it is for your safety. Rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. If Jesus rose from the grave, this means everything to you. If Jesus was not raised, you might as well just go throw the towel in. It's all or nothing. It cannot be both ways. It cannot be both ways. The resurrection of Jesus is everything in your life today, or it's nothing at all. You can't live with both truths. Your present circumstances can be overcome with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul reiterates his theme again, an exhortation to a people that are suffering He says, finally, my brethren, verse 1, rejoice in the Lord for me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. And Paul's going to exhort them in two areas. First of all, he's going to tell them, as he tells us, beware of external influences in your life that can lead you astray. Verse 2, beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the mutilation. And he's specifically speaking there of these Judaizing Christians, or these Judaizers, I should call them, the, the Jews. And he's using this language, beware of them. They think you are the dogs. 
They think you are the evil workers. Beware of those circumcised who are merely just mutilated. See, that, that's his strong language here. And yet there are always external influences that are at work in, in our life to distract you from your calling. And that's what Paul is saying here to the Philippian church. He says, beware of those external factors that are going to distract you from your calling. You need to be reminded who you are. And that's what he does in verse 3. For you are the circumcision, Christians. You are the one who worship God in the Spirit, who rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in in the flesh, external influences can distract you from your calling. But you need to be reminded who you are, and your identity only makes sense if you are in the resurrected Jesus Christ. See, it means everything to you. It is your life. It is all in all. That's why Paul says, it is no longer that I live, but Christ that lives in me. And there was something very real about that. That wasn't metaphorical. But secondly, you need to be aware of the internal influences that can lead you astray. And this is the confidence of the flesh that Paul came to realize when the Lord Jesus, the resurrected Lord Jesus, met him on that Damascus road. Your personal pride is the biggest internal enemy to God and His purposes in your life. I'm going to say that again. Your personal pride is the biggest internal enemy to God and His purposes in your life. And guess what mine is? And guess what Paul's was? If there is anything in your life that needs to change, it is going to be something in that sphere. Your pride. Now, pride has often many faces. We don't, always, we don't recognize the many faces it has to it, but that is going to be an area where you're going to need to leave and you're going to need to change, and you need to be about that activity. He goes on and says in verse 4, Though if I also have confidence in the flesh. You want to talk about confidence in the flesh? You want to talk about something to brag about? You want to talk about some status here? Let me tell you, if anybody else thinks he has confidence in the flesh, I more. Precisely circumcised the eighth day. Not the seventh, not the ninth day. It was done right by the book of Moses. Of the stock of Israel, man, I am a thoroughbred Benjamite. A Hebrew of the Hebrews. I'm not a crossbreed. I have no pollution in my blood. I am a thoroughbred. Concerning the law, I am a Pharisee. That was a pretty high status in his life. Concerning zeal, I persecuted the church. Concerning righteousness, which is in the law, I was absolutely blameless. This was Paul's identity. This was his biggest enemy. It was himself. This is what he had given himself to. He had everything invested in going in a certain direction in his life. These were things he felt deeply about. These were things he had given himself to. He had labored in his life and his studies. He had made great sacrifices. He had his entire life invested in this that we call his pedigree. What he had achieved in, achieved in his life was quite remarkable, and that's the point here. 
You're not going to climb a ladder much higher of success than the Apostle Paul did. He was near the top rung of his spirituality and religion. And this is what he completely gave up. Everything that he ever thought he wanted to be, everything that he ever wanted to achieve, and now radically... He gave it all up because of one truth, and that was the Lord Jesus Christ being raised from the dead. The resurrected Jesus changes everything in your life. Everything. It changed Paul. It changed his view in every way. He goes on in verse 7, but those things that I that were gained to me, all those things I invested in, all those things I count but lost for Christ. For indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence, that's the surpassing of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as r- r- rubbish. <laughs> that I might gain Christ. And be found in him. Not having my own righteousness which is from the law. But that which is through the faith in Christ. The righteousness which is from God. By faith. In a verse that has been standing out. For almost 30 years in my life. And here is what Paul was about. That I may know him. That I may know the power of his resurrection. And that I may know the fellowship of his sufferings. Being conformed to his death. If by any means I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Boy, that's loaded. When the resurrection... Christ met Paul on that road to Damascus. It was a day that changed everything in his life. In every possible conceivable way, Paul saw that even though he was near the top rung of the ladder of his spirituality and his religious life, that ladder was leaning against the wrong wall. And yet the change that he speaks of here that took place in his life when Christ met him and Christ changed him, it was a change that something Paul was all about. Many Christians, especially in Reformed churches, put a false dichotomy between the work of God in the believer's life and the personal activity in the believer himself. And Paul would have absolutely none of that. That would be nonsensical to Paul. I remember a day many years ago when I was ministering in a different city that I was confronting a brother in my church with a sin that he was doing wrong. And his answer was to me something like this, I know I'm doing wrong, but I'm waiting on God to move me to repentance. And do you know how many times since that time I have heard that same theme, but in a variant form? There's variations on a theme. 
Well, I assured him that I immediately became his means of grace, and he had not need to wait any longer. And I encouraged him because he needed to be about the activity of what God's activity was about. There's another false dichotomy that I sometimes see, particularly, again, in Reformed churches, and that the gospel becomes really more a set of intellectual truths than a life to live. There's often a disconnect between the orthodox doctrine and the practice. Parents, one of the most detrimental things you can do in raising your children is to raise them in an atmosphere where what they hear you say that you believe that they do not see you live your life like it matters. If there is one particular reason, humanly speaking, where I see children of believers walking away from the faith who've grown up in church, it is that reason. Mom and dad say they believe in the resurrected Jesus Christ and all that entails, but their lives are not much different from anybody else in the world. And I see their children growing up. And they say, what's the, what's the use? What difference does it matter? Because the children are going to see sufferings in their family life. They're going to see trials and tribulations. And they're going to say, well, what's the use? Because it doesn't really affect mom and dad. They don't really care. about. Oh, they intellectually can tell me these things, but their life, there's a disconnect. Children can see those things. See, Paul was all about this new change in his life. He wasn't blaming God for taking away his old life. He wasn't lamenting that all those things he had to give up, that he invested himself. He wasn't sore about that. He wasn't bitter about that. He didn't feel cheated that he can no longer do the things he wanted to do. He didn't feel cheated that all of those years were wasted. None of that Paul would have. None of that. Man, he tasted something so much better that everything was just willing to throw it off and put it off as rubbish, as just a dung heap out there, so that he can just be about all of this new glory and the power of the resurrected Jesus Christ. He was personally active in giving up the old Paul. He was personally counting the experiential knowledge of Christ so far surpassing any of those other old things to the extent he was willing to suffer and to suffer mightily to give up anything in his life to obtain the prize for which he longed. He had tasted something better and that became his pursuit. I was pretty old in my childhood before I ever realized that I liked pizza. I was operating on some very bad presuppositions that shaped my worldview about pizza. 
See, I didn't like cheese, or so I thought. In fact, I didn't realize there was more than one kind of cheese. And somewhere early, way early in my childhood, I tasted some cheese that I didn't like. Or I probably just got close enough to Lindberger and smelled it and just assumed everything else. I don't know. And then I reasoned that since pizza is just covered with cheese, I concluded, and quite falsely I might add, that I would not like pizza at all. And so I never ate it, never tasted it. Friends would have pizza parties, I, I would PB&J. I know, and you know how I like, don't really care for peanut butter that much. But I remember vividly to this day the time that I ate my first bite of pizza. It wasn't really something I was excited about. It wasn't something I really wanted to do. The fact of the matter is I was so hungry, and that was the only thing that was available. My parents and I and siblings were visiting underground Atlanta, and their dad bought a pizza to eat, and I was starving, and it was way past the time for dinner. And that my only choice for food, all, that was, it was eat pizza or not eat pizza. And so reluctantly, I took my first bite of pizza. And you can imagine, a first bite of pizza in my life. And right then, right there, immediately, the thought came to my mind, what have I been doing all these years? <laughs> all those times when my friends were eating pizza, I'd go find something else. All those times I was spraying PB, and never again was I ever tempted If there's pizza or PB&J or the old way of life, was I even thinking about that? I found something of a surpassing taste of pizza to never again to compare to some of those previous secondary choices that I looked for. And that's what Paul's talking about. He said all of these things that were something to me and that were important to me, now the surpassing knowledge of Jesus Christ puts it all in comparison and just closes the door to that old way. And he desired it. And all about his life now in the resurrected Christ was about change. That's what he was about. He was about change. See, it wasn't about going about life easier. It wasn't about relieving his sufferings. In fact, not in, in quite the opposite. He had tasted of something so much better in the risen Christ and in the union and the life he had with him that he was willing to do anything to obtain the very thing that he now longed for the most. And you know what the very thing that Paul longed for the most? The very thing that Paul longed for the most that shaped every day of his life from the time that he met Jesus was stated in this passage, stated in 1 Corinthians 15, so that he might obtain himself personally, the resurrection from the dead, that he, his personal resurrection to be with the Lord Jesus apart from this old baggage, apart from the old man, apart from sin, apart from keeping those things in his life where they should be. And his greatest longing was to be in that fourth and last state of man, in his resurrected glory with the Lord Jesus and the triune God. And everything he did was shaped in light of that. He wanted that to obtain 
And to attain is how the passage puts it toward the end of its verse. To be rid of that old self and to have this completeness of which He was designed to be. And whatever your struggle is today, you need to be refreshed with a new perspective of the resurrection. I need to. And Paul needed to. See, Paul's appetite and perspective on life changed. And that's why he goes on in the end of verse 8, that I may gain Christ. That I may be found in Him. Not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings. Being conformed to His death, if by any means I may attain the resurrection of the dead. See, that was His longing. What Paul now desired was to gain Christ. This was his new prize. This was his new pursuit. This was his new activity. The righteousness that he sought before, the acceptance in life, something that was internal to Paul, there was no power in that. It was a facade. It was a, it was a lie. It was a falsehood. It was a deceit. It was a deceptor. It was something that was an imposter. One of the deceptions in a prideful life is the fact that we are trying to gain acceptance with others and in life, even with God, on something internal from within us. But that's not where acceptance comes from. That's not where self-worth comes from. That's not the basis of self-esteem. And if you keep looking inwardly to yourself and to your abilities and your talents and your gifts and your status and your job... To find any worth at all or any acceptance on those things, you will eventually find insecurity and disappointment and dashed dreams and frustration and bitterness and ultimately failure no matter how successful you think you became. It's a dunghill, people. Life just isn't going to work that way. That psychological ladder is leaning up against the wrong building. Paul found that the righteousness of God, which was quite alien to himself, to be the answer of all the emptiness and the personal achievements, that righteousness was inherent in a person and it was in a relationship with that person. The resurrected Christ changed everything. It changes everything. So Paul says, you know, I have a desire to attain this resurrection and today, right now, to be found in Him. Our union with the living, resurrected Lord Jesus Christ is everything while we have life and breath on this earth. It is everything, people. It is everything. So much so that it was Paul's greatest desire was to reach that state in his own resurrection, whatever it took. If by any means, he says, I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. That was Paul's goal. But there was a means to that end. 
And just like Paul, you need to give yourself to God's ways and the process in life because there's always a means to the end. Paul was not only willing, but he desired the process. Paul wanted to be found in Christ, and that meant several things to him. First of all, it meant that he might know Him. And the aim for everything in Paul's life was to know Christ experientially, not intellectually, not emotionally, not as a slave out of dutiful obedience to a master, but experientially. Paul's aim was to obtain his future resurrection, but while living in his experiential union with Jesus Christ. Now you might know that a city on the map exists, a place that you have never been. And that's not what Paul's talking about. But if you ever go to that city and you walk around and you have experienced it, now that's closer to what he's talking about. You know it by your own experience. Not because someone told you. Not because you got excited about some dream of it, but because you have experienced it. And that's what the experiential knowledge that Paul was longing for. And he he says that I may know him. And he secondly says that I may know the power of his resurrection. Knowing Christ experientially gave him the ability to know the present power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why he says in Ephesians, he's praying for them, Ephesians. I pray that you might know the very power that raised up Jesus Christ from the dead is the same power God gives to you today, and I pray that you might know it like I've come to know it. This power is available to all believers here and today. This is the power that comes to believers on the basis of Christ's resurrection. The resurrection of Christ sets the future in motion. Today, if you live in the power of His resurrection, your future is set in motion. See, how you live today influences how you will attain tomorrow. And that's what Paul's point is here. He's actually going to go on and and in the future part of this passage that we'll not get to today, he's talking about future. Not that I've already attained it. I'm I'm leaving those things behind. I'm pressing on. I'm going toward this way. But I'm living today in the light of what I am achieving or trying to attain, may I say it more accurately. There was great activity in his life. He'd given himself to it. He found something better. He was throwing out all of the old rubbish and he was about every bit of this, no matter what it cost him in this life, no matter what the sufferings would ever come, he actually was very willing. See, Christ's resurrection is the first fruits of all of our resurrection, and it sets that future of ours in motion. See? That's what first fruits is all about. 
It's setting something in motion that is to come behind. And here was Christ. It guarantees the final harvest. And that's what Paul was longing for, the final harvest. Paul exhorted the Philippians to rejoice in the Lord in the midst of their present sufferings. And that only makes sense in the light of Christ's resurrection. I'm going to tell you something here, people. Sufferings in this life are absolutely meaningless without the power of Christ's resurrection. Get your spirit around that. Get your head around that. In times of suffering, this is what you need to know. The power of His resurrection. But then He goes on, and that other thing that He longed to 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 be and to know is the fellowship, the participation of Christ's sufferings. This is something that should be a part of the fabric of your makeup of who you are in Christ. This is not joining Him in His atoning propitiatory work. But there is a suffering life that He has called you to. On this phrase, Gordon Fee says that since Paul's conversion, he could throw himself into the present with a holy abandon, full of rejoicing and thanksgiving, and that not because he enjoyed suffering, but because Christ's resurrection had given him a unique perspective on present sufferings as well as the empowering presence whereby the suffering was transformed into the intimate fellowship with Christ himself. And if Christ Himself is that which is the surpassing thing that you desire above all things, then even that suffering becomes something important to you. The tendency to avoid sufferings while maintaining one's faith in Christ is what is so prevalent today. Isn't that what you'd like to do? Isn't that what I'd like to do? Isn't that what our tendency is? Let's maintain our present faith in Jesus Christ, but we just want to avoid any kind of suffering. Okay? Let's see if we can achieve both of those objectives. And Paul said, I would have none of that. No, no, you don't understand what I'm trying to tell you. Your present sufferings are meaningless apart from the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But because Jesus' resurrection is everything, your sufferings are also something to be noted. Gordon Fee says, but Paul would have none of that precisely because from his perspective and genuine Genuine knowing of Christ means participating in His sufferings since only in such sufferings does one truly know Christ. It's not the joy of the sufferings themselves, but because in them there is evidence of this intimate relationship with Christ and there you find something of a surpassing knowledge and a joy that transcends every earthly trial and suffering here. Let's see. Here's something that you need to to know. This was a daily struggle in Paul's life. Don't think that Paul was some kind of gifted, archetypical, perfect, second Jesus kind of man. He was not. When he 
was converted on the road to Damascus, and he was radically transformed. There was something that went on that day that set him on a new course in all of life. And he, but every single day of his life, he struggled with sin. He struggled in the battle. He struggled in areas of his life that you would say, what, the Apostle Paul? Are you kidding me? Yeah. Yeah. Pastor Lovett, are you kidding me? Yeah. Yeah. No, not. You mean, you mean the person there? They're struggling in that kind? Yeah, yeah, they're struggling. They're struggling with sin. It was a daily struggle for Paul. Just like it is with you. Just like it is with me. And that's why he goes on to say, not that I've already attained. Not that I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold on that which Christ Jesus has laid hold on me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. I'm not there yet, he says, but one thing I do. Forgetting those things which are behind, reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That's my destiny. That's where I'm heading. That's where I'm growing. Now, Paul says, it's a daily battle for me. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he's he's saying that this was a daily struggle. Even in the light of the resurrection, he says, I affirm by the boasting in you, which I have in Christ Jesus, our Lord, I die daily. I die daily. It's a daily struggle with me, Paul says. Man, I have to wake up. I have to rely upon Jesus. I have to look to his resurrected power. I have to use the means of grace. I have to fellowship with him this day. And, and I don't want to sometimes. And I struggle with this. And someone's tempting me over here. Or I'm seeing this. Or I'm being influenced. And I, I just, I don't want you. To, I die daily. That's why he goes on. The very next verse is, If in the manner of men I have fought with the beast of Ephesus, meaning the very big riot that happened in Ephesus in which he was about to, to be, in which he was greatly persecuted. He says, if I have done that, what advantage is it to me? If the dead do not rise, let us just eat, drink, for tomorrow we die. Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Paul said, I have my struggles. I got my struggles externally. I got my struggles internally. But let me tell you what, it is the power of the resurrection It is our union with Jesus Christ. It is even through the fellowship of his sufferings that I am pressing on toward the very thing of which I desire to attain, and that is the resurrection from the dead. That is when Paul's last words to young Timothy, he says, man, I have fought the fight every day. I am not disqualified. I've run the race. Now my time is near. It is a fight every day. But Paul was willing to go through the process to attain that for which he longed. It was not something he presumed upon. It was not something that it just happened automatically. Oh, he trusted in the grace of God. He had strong faith, but he was still a man. And he had a different life as he began thinking about a new perspective. And he began to see the things that were out here in the future. And that resurrected Jesus set those things in motion. And that's what he was longing for. He was willing to go through the process 
to obtain the end for which he longed. It is my hope that this message can renew any hope that may have been dashed or broken in your life. I know some things are broken in your life. I don't necessarily know what they are. But I know every person here has things that are broken. And you're going to fight that today. You're going to wake up tomorrow and you're going to wish that your marriage was stronger or your child was more compliant or your parent loved you more. Things are broken. This is a broken life. That's why we need Christ. And that's why we need to know today the power of His resurrection. And it's available to us, see? It's available. It's not that you want to change other people to relieve your present suffering. It's not that you want your present circumstances to relieve this. Paul says, I've got something even better than that, even no matter what other circumstances people do, you can rejoice in the Lord. And again, I'm going to say it, rejoice. For me to say the same thing to you, it's not just redundant, but it is safe for me to do so. Paul says that because of the resurrection of Christ is true, he's willing to die daily. And you have to be about the change of your life. You have to be about this new life, see? (laughs) You have to taste and see that it's good. And this has to be something that you are energized in. And you have to, you can't remain the same today as you were yesterday. You don't expect tomorrow to be the same as it is today. And if you are going to give yourself to the power of God, even to the fellowship of His sufferings, you have great hope that you will be on a progressive end toward that which you desire to attain. Paul gave things up on a daily basis, things that he would rather enjoy doing. It meant his willingness to suffer today for the glory revealed tomorrow. It meant that he was willing to be put out so others could be made better. If you're hoping somebody else in your life is going to change and make your life better, you're thinking wrongly. You're not thinking resurrection. Your personal sufferings are a part of the process for you to attain the resurrection. But learn to live with these sufferings not in a bitter way or not by kicking the can around, but joyfully. That's what this epistle is about. It's finding the present power of Christ's resurrection available to you. Yes, you're going to go through sufferings. And through many tribulations, you will press into the kingdom of God. But God wants you to do it joyfully and thankfully. And the only way you can do that is to live by His power and not anything internal to yourself. It must be alien to you, and yet it is available to you. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we confess that there is so much brokenness in our lives. We love to dress ourselves up and like to, for other people to think more highly of us than truly we are. We have so much pride in our life and we confess that 
that has so many faces of deception that we can't even recognize it, but thankful are we that you save us even from ourselves. For the heart is deceitful. We ourselves can't even know it. And Lord, the things that we often desire to do that is right, we find ourselves not doing those things. Those things that are wrong that we should not be doing, those things we find us doing. And what a wretched man is this that we live in, but how thankful we are, this is not where you desire for us to stay. And there is a greater member in our hearts, Christ himself, who leads us on to a spirit-filled life. And we pray this day that you would repair much of the brokenness, but give us hope, Lord. Give us hope that things can change in our own personal life, that we can have a greater joy in Christ that we can trust you more fully and stop trusting ourselves and our pedigree and our abilities. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen the marriages here that are weakened. You would strengthen bodies that are frail. You would strengthen minds that have been captivated in the ways of the world or the philosophies that lead them away from the strength that they have in Christ. I pray for those who are struggling in their faith this day that are doubting and wavering, wondering if life can get any better. I pray for those who there's brokenness in relationships, perhaps even with a parent or child, with a brother or sister. Lord, we are a broken people. And yet oftentimes our spirits is that which needs to be broken Because it is a broken spirit and a contrite heart that pleases you and that which you give much grace to. So Lord, we pray that this day would give us a great appreciation and a joy, a new knowledge and a stronger faith that our Lord is alive and he is in bodily form and he has been touched with our infirmities, yet without sin. And His prayers avail for us this day, and He desires to communicate Himself to us in a very sensible way. And may we keep pressing on, not dwelling in the past, not hanging on to the baggage of yesterday, but those things we leave behind as we look forward to that which we are attaining and that which we press on toward for this great prize that we have in Christ Jesus our Lord. And we pray that you would be pleased and glorified in how we receive this message and the things of change that we'll be active about tomorrow. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.